to the mixtape with Scott. I'm the host, Scott Cunningham. I'm a professor of economics at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. Um, the purpose of the podcast or the podcast's uh, goal is to basically listen to the stories of living economists under the conviction that we use the stories. We use stories to help us kind of understand uh, the world around us, our own lives and other people. And, you know, one of the ways that we can really be changed is just by listening to other people. And uh, that's part of the purpose of the podcast is to just listen to the stories of living economists that we've all heard of or many of us have heard of, but don't really know uh, their work. Also related to that, uh, we don't know their, we know their work, but we don't know them. And when we know their work, it's usually kind of a selection on, y'all have heard me say this, it's kind of a selection on dependent variable thing. You know, this is a, why do you know this work? Because it's already impactful. It's already well-known. It's already published. We don't know about the papers that died. We don't know about the challenges they made, had going forward. You know, it's, we, the purpose of the podcast is to try to talk to people and try to go back and live, hear their life lived forward um, rather than just looking at the end of things um, when we read their papers, because all of us are living our lives forward. Um, but then also it's a, it's a, it's a oral history of the economics profession. It's a, a non-randomly selected oral history um, because all stories, all oral histories will be not, will not be the story. There is no the story. There's just biased stories. And um, so, you know, I have biases. My biases are, I love causal inference, love econometrics, love labor, love particular, um, love the story of economy, the increase in the demand for PhD economists in tech industry, public policy economists. You know, there's a lot of stuff like that that I really love. But I also really love within that area of causal inference and econometrics, I really love this stream of, uh, you know, the, the design work, people like Angrist, Embens, uh, David Card, Orly Ashenfelter, Princeton, um, and then the model-based approach, which would be one person, it would be the structural work, uh, would, would be, you know, generally what we're talking about but within micro, that would be James Heckman. And so I've been trying to, this year, organize more interviews with the students of people. I was already doing the students of Gary Becker. Uh, that kind of has slowed down a little bit. I'm going to probably pick that back up. But then I'm also doing the students of Josh Angris, the students of David Card, the students of Hito Imbens, and the students of James Heckman, which is a lead-in to this person who's also extremely well-known. But, you know, I kind of need these narrative hooks like that to kind of build this narrative in my head that helps me just kind of navigate uh, you know, the selection of people and try to build the story I'm interested in, which is the flow of Chicago in econometrics and Heckman in particular and his students. So today's interview is with a uh, professor of economics at the University of Wisconsin. He is the, interestingly enough, he is the James J. Heckman, professor of economics at uh, Wisconsin, Christopher Tabor. Christopher Tabor is a labor economist and a kind of an applied econometrician. And, uh, he has been, he is one of Heckman's many students uh, and co-authors and collaborators and has gone on to be a very important uh, labor economist and applied econometrician himself. He says in the talk, he doesn't really consider himself a econometrician. That, that was news to me, but um, uh, that's who we're talking, we're going to listen to today. So thanks so much for tuning in. If you like this 
podcast. Uh, first of all, I'll just say thank you for tuning in. Thanks for um, uh, everything. And I, I enjoy so much doing it. And so it's been really fun to know other people get into the same kind of things as me. So that's a lot of, that's pretty cool. And, um, but if you do like it and you think that, you know, that you want to share it with someone, share it, like it, recommend it. Um, but now I'm going to turn it over to myself and Chris uh, right now. All right. See you in a minute. Well, it's a pleasure to have with me on the podcast, someone that I've never met uh, before, but known about uh, the, uh, Dr. Chris Tabor for a long time. Chris, thanks for so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, it was great to have me. This is fun. Can you, for the sake of the um, listener, tell us your uh, where you work and what your title is, where you live? So I, I live in Madison, Wisconsin, or McFarland, Wisconsin, actually, which is right outside of, right outside of, outside of Madison. Um, I guess my, my formal title, I'm the James J. Heckman Professor, the Walker Family, family Distinguished Chair, and I'm also currently the chair of the Department of Wisconsin. The uh, Department of Economics at University of Wisconsin-Madison. Oh, I bet that's neat that you have a chair named after Dr. Heckman. Yeah, yeah. No, it was something that it was something that that I got last year, and I I'm supposed to pick somebody. Um, oh, you have to I give did, it up. What? You have to give it up. I. What do you mean? I have to. What do you mean? You pick somebody. I I had no. I'm sorry. I, I had to pick somebody to name the chair after. Oh, 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 oh. So it's an honorary, it, it's an honorary professorship from the university. Oh, and they wow. want me to pick a pick a famous economist to name it after that's been influential in my career. And for me, it was obvious who to pick. Oh, that's so cool. I bet that's neat. It really um, is, yeah. Well, okay. So let's go ahead and start. So um uh this is an icebreaker. Can you tell me um about maybe a vacation that you had, uh, you know, maybe when you were younger or maybe even more recently that, you know, it's not necessarily your favorite vacation, but for some reason it always pops in your head every now and then. I mean, probably the, 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 the most fun vacation I had was the first time we took my kids to Europe. Um, so they were, I guess they, the youngest one was six at the time. Um, and then, you know, something like 10 and 12. Um, and we, we started in, in Steyr, Austria, and we were there for sort of a week. I was there for, uh, an academic thing. And then we kind of traveled across Europe together as a family. Uh -huh. Um, you know, we've gone on other vacations, but nothing. I mean, that was kind of the first very big one. Yeah. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. Oh, I bet they, I bet it was fun watching them, uh, have fun. I bet that was really yeah. neat. Yeah, yeah, and and see, and interact and see all the different things. Oh yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, so so where did you grow up? So I I grew up in Connecticut. So we kind of we kind of moved from a bunch of different places in Connecticut. Actually, I lived in Philadelphia when I was very little. Um, but then and my parents kind of settled in Salisbury, Connecticut, which is the northwest corner of Connecticut. It's kind of the it's the most rural part of Connecticut, probably. Oh, so you grew up in rural Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, again, we moved around. So I, we lived in some suburbs. We moved there when I was in ninth grade. Oh, oh, where were you before that? So I guess before, so going backwards before that, I lived in Wilton, Connecticut, which is part of Fairfield County kind of suburb of, of New York. Oh. Um, before, before that we lived in Bethany, Connecticut, which is um, close to New Haven. 
and then Oxford, Connecticut before that, and then Philadelphia before that. Are those all close to each other? Are you kind of like moving like your parents are buying houses or what's the... There are, I mean, Oxford and Bethany were pretty close to each other. Um, Wilton's probably an hour away from those. And I mean, it's Connecticut, so nothing's very far from anywhere else in Connecticut. Um, The the first two places are super close. The other place are a little bit further away. What did your parents do for a living? Why were y'all moving so much? So my mom, so my dad, my dad was a social worker. Mm. um, And that's why, so part of that's why we're in Philadelphia. Um, And then moved to Connecticut. And he was a a social worker for Southern Connecticut State College, which was in New Haven. I think now Southern Connecticut State University. Um, But then around then he changed his, he had a career change. um, I don't know when he was around 40 or something like that and decided to become a minister. Oh. So then the last two moves, the the first job, his first job was at Wilton, Connecticut as a minister. And then he became minister in Salisbury, Connecticut and was there for for 25 years before he retired. What, uh, what denomination was it? United Church of Christ. Oh, were you, was the family surprised when that happened or was that, you could see that coming? I mean, I would, I would have been in something like fifth grade or fourth grade when this happened. So I I don't, I didn't see it coming, but um, my mom probably did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the jobs aren't that different, right? A lot of, a lot of being a minister is, counseling right 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 i see okay okay so you were moving around because he's going to different churches the, the last two the most of most of the moves actually were in the social work days oh so the okay. last so he only ever served in two different churches oh, okay well so did you have any siblings yeah uh, yeah actually i have five different or six siblings oh. five siblings sorry six of us yeah oh wow so how are, where are you in the birth order I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. I'm the oldest. Yeah, okay. and the and the younger two are much younger. So the the younger two are the age of my kids. Oh um, wow! So when you were moving so much, were you was it hard because you're like you know having to lose friends and then start new ones and all that kind of stuff? It was. It was. And again, a lot of the moves were when I was very young. Yeah. So right. so we a bunch of the moves were were um, before kindergarten. Okay. So, so then after that, after that, it was really only two. You know, so we, we, we lived in Bethany when I was in kindergarten, we moved to Wilton when I was in between fifth and sixth grade and then Salisbury between ninth and 10th grade or yeah. eighth and ninth grade. That's when I moved yeah. to eighth and ninth, but the, even that can be that, even that's kind of actually pretty hard. Yeah. 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 That, that, Cause then, you know all the friendships have already been there a little right. bit. That, that was, that was definitely the hardest of the, yeah. of the moves. Yeah. 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 So we're going to have found you on a Saturday, like, but before that ninth grade move, before that eighth grade move, what would you, what would you have been doing on a Saturday? Probably hang, hanging out with my friends. Yeah. Probably decent chance watching sports, watching yeah. some football, well, I guess some football or some basketball. Yeah. Yeah, you were pretty. You were uh, pretty athletic or pretty into sports when you were young. I was into. I was not athletic. I, I, I was. I actually became a decent cross country runner in high school, but prior to that, I was not a good athlete. But I, I, I enjoyed watching sports. Yeah. What was your yeah. favorite sport? I, I mean, what at the time? So, so this would have been in the 1970s, living in Middle Connecticut, 
which would meant this is a time when half of the kids in the class were Yankees fans and half of the kids in the class were Red Sox fans. Oh. Uh, so I was a Red Sox fan. Oh, okay. Um, but your but your your alliances had to be pretty strong. <laughs> okay. Well, so when you so what did you want to be when you grew up? When you were like those early days when you're like you know what I, here's what I want to be when I grow up. That's interesting. I mean, for I don't I don't yeah I don't when I was really young I don't remember right. For a long time, I was going to be a lawyer. Mm. Like, and I mean, this is more kind of in high school. Um, I don't know. For some reason, I, I saw law as an interesting thing to do. Mm. Some thoughts about going into accounting. Mm. What kind of student were you in high school? I was a good student. Um, yeah, I sort of. I wasn't a great student. I wasn't a great student in eighth grade, but kind of I kind of came to my own in high school. Um, yeah. And yeah, I did very well in high school and I, I, I went to the university of Chicago yeah, um, yeah, as an yeah. undergraduate. So, right. right. What kind of stuff were you, what kind of, what kind of student would, if you, if your teacher, if I could have talked to your teachers, they would say, well, Chris is this kind of student. What would they have said? I, I, I thoughtful and hardworking. I, I, I think they would have said. Mm hmm. Well, so what, so you end up, so what did you know about the University of Chicago before, you know, when you were applying for schools? I, 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 as a young person, how did you even, like, how did that even, what was your that, it was a It was a strange thing, actually, growing up, growing up in Connecticut, um, you're very much used to the schools in the East Coast, and, and right. you maybe heard of some schools in the West Coast, Um but there, I, I like there's a, that famous picture of New York, like the yeah. world is New York, where the, like you don't even see the Midwest. And that's kind of the way that it, that's kind of the way that it was um, yeah. in Connecticut. So I sort of planned, planned on going to probably school in, in, in somewhere in the on the East Coast. But I remember, yeah, I remember just going. I had never heard of the University of Chicago. I remember seeing it in some college book and, and reading about it and saying, oh, that seems kind of interesting. What um, kind of stuff would you read about? The great text stuff? No, I, I'm talking about like college admissions things. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah no, just college admissions, yeah, describing different schools that you could go to. So but I saw it, the university. That, isn't it that great text tradition? They have that big. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Did that, what yeah. was it that really stood out though? Was it that or was it something else? Um. I don't know if it was anything. I mean, you know, I applied to a number of different schools. Um, I, it was, I ended up, my choice, I got, it actually from my, both of my parents went to Penn. Mm. Um, I think bo both of my grandfathers went to Penn. My oh. grandmother got a master's degree at Penn on one side of the family. On the other side of the family, I would have been the fifth generation at Penn. Wow. Um, so that was sort of where I thought I would go. Yeah. Um, I got into both Chicago and Penn, um, but then ultimately decided Chicago was a better place. So they, they, there was also more, a more generous financial aid package from, from Chicago than from Penn. Yeah. Um, so which is kind of where I ended up there. And for a lot of us, it's just these kind of random things. Well, um, what was Chicago like for you when you first show up that first year? I mean, what's, what's, it, what's the atmosphere like and what was it like for you? For me, it was, I, I mean, Chicago has this reputation of being very academic, very studious, you know, very nerdy with nothing going on um, socially. For, for me, it was it was kind of the opposite. I got really lucky and I ended up in a 
um, and a how the Chicago divides things up in houses. So a house is kind of a social thing where you get to know the people in your house. I end up with a bunch of people in the same house as me that had similar interests, mm. um, and and form friendships with them. And they're still my closest friends in life are, are those friends. And I mean, I was texting, we have, we have group texts that I was on this morning uh, talking about what was, what happened in the NBA yesterday. Right. Yeah. I have that kind of thing too. It's uh, it makes a big difference as an adult having those college buddies. Do y'all get together yeah. and do stuff? Co- yeah, we get together. Yeah. Yeah. Usually a couple times a year. Um, actually they get, they all live on the East coast. So they actually get together more often than me. I usually see them once, once a year. And then actually once every five years, we kind of do our own reunion in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, even that's a bigger group of people than, than, than the people that I see all the time. Well, so what's your first interaction with, uh, economics in Chicago? Is it like, is, is economic, like when you land at Chicago, is it kind of like, you immediately start hearing about economic, the economics department, kind of like regardless of whether you're going to major in it. You hear about it. You hear about it a lot. I mean, a lot of the tradition in Chicago is there like there's these T-shirts with a long list of Nobel Prizes winners from Chicago and a big chunk of them are from economics. So you hear about it. You yeah. hear you hear about it that way. I was actually I was a math major. I, I kind of I double majored. I essentially double majored in in math and econ. Mm. Uh, Hmm. How'd you find econ? Why'd you do the double major? Was that because somebody told you to, or you just naturally did that? It was, I, I mean, I was interested, I was interested in both. Honestly, I mean, Chicago, econ was sort of a blow off major. I mean, I, should, I don't want to insult people that took, that majored in econ at Chicago. Um, but, but to me, it wasn't as challenging and it was, it was easier. Math was more of a challenge and I, you know, I could handle the math. Right. Um, so, so I, I did, and I was interested in both and I did both. I wasn't technically an econ major um, mm. because at the time math was part of the social science, science group. And, and um, I'm sorry, math was part of the physical science group and, and econ was part of the social science group. There were some social science specific courses that mm. I never took. Yeah. Um, so you I didn't took I, all I, the econ, but you I didn't took get all the econ to qualify for the econ major. But it, like I didn't take Western civilization, which was something that I would have had to take in to be a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. To be a social science major. Well, So what was it then about if, it, you know, it's not like it, it was pretty easy. What was it about econ that you if you remember sort of like catching a little bit of your heart, though? I, I mean, I think I like economics, like a lot of us like economics. We, I, I like the formality. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at math and, and I like the formality of math. I mean, not compared to people in serious people in math, but, but I, you know, I like the formality of math, mm-hmm. um, but then applying it to questions that are more interesting for the world, which, I mean, and that's really what economics is, is taking, yeah. taking this formality that we like in math but then using it to analyze more important issues um, than than you would, than you would talk about in a math class. Right. Right. So was there like a, uh, when you were an undergrad, was there any professors or any classes that sort of had like an unusually large impression on you left a kind of a bigger imprint than normal? The very first class I took was Sam Peltzman um, taught like Econ 101. 
Yeah. And I can still remember that. Yeah. What's he like as a professor? He's great. He's just very, he's very engaging. Um, Mm. Seth Seth Sanders was my TA. So somebody I still run into, but he was my TA. I don't don't think he remembers this, but he was my TA um, in this Ecom 101. Oh, so he was a graduate student. He was a graduate student at the time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, so did you know about these like, you know, big giants when you were an undergrad, like Gary Becker and Dr. Heckman and others? I didn't. Milton no, Friedman I didn't. Or, I, I really, those I, reputations weren't Milton around. Freeman, of course. Like everybody, yeah. I mean, everybody knew who Milton Freeman was. He, I, he wasn't there. And I don't think he was. I don't remember exactly when he left. I, it was certainly before I started graduate school, but I think it was actually before I started undergraduate. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, Milton Freeman at the time was, I knew about him way before. Yeah. Way, way before I went to college. Um, no, I, I kind of learned slowly about it. It's partly, I mean, partly I was a, I was more of a math major than econ right. major, which mm-hmm. meant there's sort of, I, I took the econ classes, but I didn't think that much about, yeah, about economics. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny, you know, there, there's not a lot of schools when you think about it, there's not a whole lot of schools that have like a kind of a feel of like a hall of fame, but Chicago kind of has this feel of they like definitely do. Hall yes. of Fame going back like 50, you know, to direct Aaron director or director and, you know, just going back forever. It's just right. filled with characters. Right. Yeah. For a very long time. Yeah. Did you feel that when you were an undergrad or even oh, for sure. as an undergraduate? No, no, yeah. I didn't. I don't, I mean, I knew the reputation um, and I knew who some of the people were, but, but I mean, most of the bigger people didn't teach undergraduate classes. Mm-hmm very often mm-hmm. um i think i'm yeah i i mean i towards the end i did i took a i, I took a class with fogel actually um with fogel? I might have been with fogel I, one of the last classes he taught on a course on slavery oh. um i took as he a, already as won a the nobel prize no he had not won the nobel prize oh. at that point but but uh, yeah i guess so i guess it, but at that point like i knew who he was and i knew yeah. he was a really big figure so right. i think by my senior year i i knew who they were but but it took a while what about becker cuz you ended up doing all this education and labor later what did you know about him when you were an undergrad i knew fair you know it was actually a funny i so you have to take the common core in chicago so you so you write course you you have to take pay, things in the general social sciences so I, I was taking I took a class where we had to write a paper um, with I think an anthropology professor um, mm. and, and I kind of used I used um, kind of the logic that I was using to think about things in economics to analyze the, the things that that I was doing in his class and I ended up getting not a good grade on the class. And he, he started complaining about Becker and Becker's <laughs> way of thinking about things. Yeah. Um, but at that point I did, I didn't know that. So that was the first I heard of who, who Becker was. Wow. How is that possible? It seems like it would just be like everywhere, but it sounds like there's some sort of segmentation at the undergrad level. Or as something. an undergraduate level, it really wasn't. Huh? Yeah. You're I mean, seeing your own like place. Said, by, by my senior year, I mean, it's hard to know exactly when I, you know, because I, I was, I studied Chicago for my PhD. Mm-hmm. So exactly when I learned what, it's hard, you know, it's hard to remember. So um, what made you decide to go into econ and not math? Oh, I, well, I, I certainly didn't have the math skills to get a PhD in math. There's no way. that So, so that wasn't really an option. It's actually kind of, I mean, I was interested, I, when I first started, I was kind of interested in government service. 
Mm. Um, I remember talking to somebody in the econ department about these about doing this as a career, and he said, yeah. "Well, maybe you should get a PhD in economics first, uh -huh. and then you could use that." Um, to get a, a job in the government. So actually when I started my PhD, I was more thinking about ending up at DC than an than academic track, which I think ended, ended you know, within a, within a couple of weeks probably of being there. Um, huh. Is that something, you know, thinking about your dad being a social worker and then a pastor and kind of like this, you know, public service kind of style is that something that's that is um in your family that is something very much in my family yeah my my mom i know my mom was a was a was a teacher um right. a special ed teacher my dad was my dad was like the third generation social worker mm. in his family i get or in the third gen my dad is a social worker um both of his parents were social workers uh, um my sister's a social worker. I have a daughter who's a social worker. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that was very much, public service was very much in my blood and what I thought was important. And, and yeah, that's very much why I was going to thinking about a government kind of job. So you're um, thinking about public policy kind of? I was thinking about public policy, yeah. Okay, got it, got it. Well, so how is it during your like senior year, you're like, I'm going to have to get a PhD in economics? Yeah, that's basically when I decided to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it's sort of embarrassing. I didn't, I don't think I spent a lot of time huh. thinking about it. Yeah. Well, so did you, you know, was at that point, was Chicago sort of a pulling at you a little bit or were you just like, I'm going to go to the best school I get into? I can go to the best school I can get into. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I did not, going to Chicago twice was not like that. That was not what I really necessarily wanted to do. I think at both points in my life, it was the best decision. Mm -hmm. at the time going to the same place through you know i don't know if that was ideal but it wasn't that bad like i did it's not like i mean partly i was a math major but but the most of the people there's very few people that i taught me both at, at the undergraduate level and at the phd level mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah no there's no overlap in your instruction very little i see because is, yeah. is it that they're relying a lot more on well, they've got like specialized lecturers that are teaching the undergrad classes and a lot of the faculties teaching the, the graduate. Yeah, I well, I, I mean, I tried to do they had I mean, they, it was not common to have PhD students teaching. Yeah, um, they had some lecturers. I actually try, I made it I, I made a real effort to try to get regular faculty um, rather than rather than graduate students teaching. But a lot of the people that I'm taking were assistant professors yeah um some of whom were no longer around um, yeah well so so you get there you take the famous price theory class with becker is that right it, yeah as a phd student it's yeah. phd student so what's that yeah. first year like when you're i was it, yeah but the first, it was amazing i mean the first year was amazing i mean back and becker's I mean, becker's class was probably the most influential single class in my career. He uh, just, he gets you to, he gets you to think like an economist. Uh, um, and we, was, yeah, we would just spend hours like working on Becker problem sets. Um, mm -hmm. People, people in my study group. Yeah. So are you overlapping at that time with Jeff Smith and with Petra Todd or like, you know, is that your cohort? That's my, my Jeff was, Jeff was a little bit older. 
Um, huh? But Petro was at exactly my year. What about David Mustard? Was he also at that? He time? was a year younger than me. Okay. 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 So you and Petra are both like, so is she in your study group? She wasn't in my study group. No, she was not. Okay. She was not. Okay. So, so you, you, so he, Becker teaches, is it like he teaches price theory one and then somebody else? Cause I know Kevin Murphy later does, but who's yeah, there? Kevin Mur- there yeah, at that eventually, yeah. Eventually Kevin Murphy started doing it with Becker. Yeah. Um, but at the time he didn't, it, it, it's a quarter system. So there's three oh, right. different, three different teachers. So I, the, the, the sequence that year, it was Becker and then Sherwin Rosen taught oh. in the winter. Um, wow. And then Rob Townsend taught the third semester. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I bet that was just exhilarating. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. But so, was, yeah. I didn't, I didn't learn any game theory. Um, uh-huh. so, so there's a part of my education that's missing a little bit, but, but it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So. So you've got prelims. They're famous prelims, I think, right? Because right. Chicago has this tradition, or it used to, of just a giant net, and then they kind, of, you know, they take gambles. And was that was did you all kind I, of? I was it? a little bit. No, I, yeah, I was. I was after they they'd ended that, that model by that. Oh, um, really? So my class, yeah, my class was not particularly big. Oh, um, and had relatively high relatively high pass rate oh okay okay well so uh so you, you finished that first year and that would have been like what like 91 because you get your master's in 91 i got yeah well i guess i, I it would have been 90 i guess i got i finished my first my i started in 89 okay um so the end of my first year was 1990 yeah okay so after you take that class with becker is it ever crossing your mind you know that you're gonna like do one of these kind of more Becker kind of tracks that you might make him your, he's not your main advisor, is he? He's not my main advisor. Okay. No, no, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a heck. Yeah. I'm a heckman. That's what I thought. Yeah. 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 How come you, so, so were you ever kind of drawn that you would be like, you know, he's the most influential class you, I could have imagined that you end up working with him, but you don't, you decide not to. I, I, I didn't, I actually, it, it when I went to grad school, I was actually thinking more about macro mm. than than I was about micro. And the reason is kind of related to what we we're talking about is I, I you know, I was interested. I wanted to go because of policy reasons. Right. Um, right. It's a little bit. I, I realize I'm not really a policy person at this point um, mm. or not, not even all that close, though. I, I'd like to think it still drives um, why I'm interested in this subject. Um, but, but like, cause then, and I was more interested in macro because as an undergraduate macro was about policy. Macro yeah. was about fis- fiscal policy and monetary policy. Yeah. While micro was about stadium vendors selling beer right. and things, right. There oh, wasn't. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so as an undergraduate, there's not that, I, I, there weren't many policy kinds of questions that, that, that I studied. Maybe it was a little bit of the mm. course that I took. Mm. Um, and, and then I got to grad school and it's sort of the opposite. I mean, it, it's macro is interested in, in monetary and fiscal policy, but, but those are kind of the main two policies that they're interested in. And most of nuts and bolts macro is about writing down the models and thinking about the models that you're going to use to look at those rather than the policies themselves. While, while micro was more about policy. So I kind of, I started when I started at Chicago, 
my fields were labor and macro. Oh. Um, not econometrics. Not econometrics. Um, I, you know, I didn't like econometrics that much, but then it became clear that, um, that econometrics was really what I was good at. And what the, the really the, the most influential class that I took. So, so Heckman had gone to, Heckman was at Yale. Oh. So he went to Yale, I, I don't remember exactly what years, but he came back in, in winter of my second year. Okay. 91. Um, it would have been winter of 91. Okay. Um, okay. Did you know much about him while he was gone? I didn't. I, I didn't know that much. I mean, we, it's a we, decade, we it's a decade before him. he wins. I knew who he was for sure. Yeah. 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 But he's like, it's a decade before he wins the Nobel Prize. Right. And so, how, so what did you know about him when you, before he got there? I mean, we, we had learned what Hackman two-step is. Ah, um, right. I mean, I'd studied a number of papers. I mean, I was taking, well, I, I guess, I mean, it's really only a semester. Like the first year, the first year you're not thinking about that kind of stuff. Right. Um, the right. first quarter taking Rosen's class. Right. Um, I took Sherwin Rosen's uh, labor class. I, I, by then I knew who Heckman was and he oh, came God. back um, and he took a, he taught a course. It was sort of, it was basically on structural econometrics. Um, oh. And this is when I realized that the, like, this is what I really liked. And this is what I was particularly good at is the, you know, the combination of, writing down an econometric model, the combination of models and formal econometrics and using that to think about data. Um, it was really in that course that, that I realized that was something I really liked. And I also realized that was, that was my, my, my biggest strength. Yeah. Um, economics. But when you said you didn't like econometrics, what was it? What was it that like, what was it that was missing? That it's not that I didn't like it. It's just I didn't. I wasn't excited about it. I mean, I guess I got excited about maybe like a lot of us. I got excited about econometrics when we were using it to think about problems. Um, <sighs> in the in the first year, when it's just like econometrics, kind of, kind of for the sake of econometrics, I'm not going to say I didn't like it. I did. Yeah. Um, but like not enough that it was going to be one of my fields. But then after. Basically, after dealing with Heckman, I, I it, my fields became labor and econometrics rather than labor and macro. Which later the macro. So yeah. when you're doing labor, is it is it still kind? I mean, I don't want to overstate this social work history, but like, is it kind of taking the place? Labor's kind of taking the place of that public service party. You know, I kind of think of the labor economists being the most like that outside. It, of I mean, it, it is. It is. I mean, I, yeah, and and especially a lot of. So what we what we're thinking about is is income inequality, right? Um, yeah. yeah, I mean the, the labor the labor the people that I got to take labor economics from at Chicago were Becker um, yeah. taught a course and Sherwin Rose and then Jim Heckman um, and then also wow. Kevin Murphy. Oh and, wow! Um, so it, yeah, really was amazing training. Um, Man, that's incredible. So so yeah. you so Dr. Heckman. Uh, you take he comes back in the winter but when do you kind of have this like you know energizing connection where you're i don't want to overstate it but like this this thing where you're like we're going to work together no i actually started working for him i was looking for an ra ship and i actually started working for him as an ra right away like i think even before he had moved back from new haven oh oh how are y'all talking email no is email around 
How are y'all talking? No, no, email was not around at the time. No, I, I guess in per, I guess in per, in in per, I mean, he came, he visited, he hadn't moved yet, but he was still, he would come to Chicago. I don't, I don't remember exactly the details, but I, he hadn't moved his house, but he was still, he had moved back to Chicago in terms of the job. So he was in, so he was in the department a lot. Okay. Okay. So So I talked to him in person. Yeah. So like, if you could imagine that, um, you know, this isn't the right example, but like say, say that you had had Gary Chamberlain or, you know, um, uh, um, you know, Hito Wimbins or some other kind of, you know, person as an econometrician had been your advisor, which obviously you haven't. But uh, if you had had them, what exactly is like the value added that Dr. Heckman had for you if you just had to speculate and explain it to a normal person? I, he has a he has a way of thinking about the world and he has a way of thinking about econometrics, um, which, which and, and I, yeah, it's partly that it's been incredibly influential. But I think it's also like that's how I like to think about it, too. Um, I, you know, I think it I think what would how my life would have been different if he had stayed at Yale and not come back. Um, and I don't know what I would have ended up doing. Mm, um, you might not have done econometrics. I, I probably wouldn't have. I don't know. I might. I might have. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say it's how did you say it? You said it's his his formal way of thinking or what did you just say? His way of thinking about econometrics and thinking this way of combining. I mean, there's a way of formalizing um, combining economics with, with econometrics. Mm. Um, and f- and using formal models to think yeah. about to think about data, uh-huh. um, I think is extremely useful. I mean, it's it not felt you know, very different. He he, you did not, you didn't have uh, anyone else that quite like was like that as a at Chicago to to learn from. Not not no not at the time. Okay okay okay. So so what do you end up working on for your job market paper? So my job market, so my job market paper, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was about the turn to college in the eight. So it was, so the re- college went up, it was a standard selection problem. So is this return to schooling or is it just an increase in the return to ability? Yeah. Okay. 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 How'd you approach it? Um, so this, it's basically a selection model. So it was a dynamic programming selection model where it's a two states thing. First, people are deciding whether to go to high school or not, and then conditional on high school. Um, do you go to college or not? Okay. Okay. So when when you write that dissertation, I don't know if a lot of people are like me, but um, did you immediately kind of see yourself as like, I'm a particular kind of labor economist. I like, you know, have like a, a particular approach or is it, is it so unformed at that time, you know, you, you wouldn't have like necessarily a intellectual identity the way that you do now? I, I mean, I think my, I was more on the edge of econometrics at, at the time. Um, okay. I mean, ne- I mean, when I, when I first went on the market, I would have thought of myself as, you know, con- as much an applied econometrician as a, as a labor economist. But the first paper, the first paper really that I wrote was an econometrics paper. It was really, it was on identification of discrete dynamic, discrete choice problems. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm getting into the journal of econometrics. So I wrote that paper first, and then my job market paper was that was on return to schooling. They were cl- and they were closely related. It was a similar model. Okay. Um, one was purely identification paper. Yeah. And then the other was an empirical paper. Where did you place that job market paper? It went into restud. 
Oh, that's the restud. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. So then you you graduate. You you're you're you go to Northwestern, and uh, you know I'm just curious. Tell me, you know, some people uh, they kind of hit the ground running. They've got the whole thing sort of figured out, and the track to tenure is you know, you almost can tell those people from the moment they get there, it's like, it's going to be successful. And then there's others where, you know, it takes some time to learn uh, how, you know, the production function is going to work and all that. So I'm just curious, when you land at Northwestern, what was it like for you immediately? And was there any kind of challenges that you saw on this path to tenure? Yeah, no, it's, I... So, so there, there's two different parts of it. So I was, I was doing some work with Professor Heckman at the time, um, work with Professor Heckman and Lance Lochner, um, mm-hmm. you know, which is some of the work that I'm, I'm definitely most proud of. Um, so I had that stuff that was sort of ahead of me. I, you know, and I had papers to finish. Um, but so, so that in that sense, I would hit the ground running. But there's another sense in finding my own identity yeah. and finding my own papers that, yeah. Took, took a little bit of time. How, how did it feel? Was it, would you say it was like uh, a, a difficult tenure track, ex- like psychologically, or did you sort of feel like there was a point where you just kind of found your groove and you knew how you were going to do it? Or do you even think about stuff like that? Oh, no, I was, I mean, it certainly, I, it was, yeah, I, I didn't know I was going to, I mean, I never thought I was going to get tenure until they called me up and told me I was going to get tenure. So it was oh, not, okay. yeah, no, I, and, and yeah, I, I think I was probably a pretty marginal case um, in Northwestern and I'm glad they believed in me. So I, yeah, no, I, it, it was very nerve wracking. Yeah, um, yeah. During the time. Well, so when you go up in, uh, Oh one, you know, a lot, a lot of people have to feel like, you know, they all do this tenure packet and they kind of end up trying to communicate who they are and what their work is. And then the tent, the letter writers will do that too. And I'm just curious, like, you know, what do you, what, kind of economists were people trying to explain to your colleagues or just even to yourself like you know chris is this doing this kind of work and he's this kind of econometrician what would they said back then i, I mean i i think i so i was it was sort of interesting i mean it's, it's kind of a weird thing but this i i'm no longer thinking myself really as an economist is an econometrician um but but kind of this there's a set of people that were in between labor and econometrics um, that was, even though it was sort of between fields a little bit, there were a lot of well-identified people that were in that area. I mean, him, Jim Heckman being, um, key, key example of one, but, you know, Richard Blundell, Costas McGeer, um, Ken Wolpin, um, yeah. maybe more on the, more on the labor structural side. Yeah. Um, Joe Hutz, who was also on my, on my thesis committee, Bob Miller. Um, Tom McCurdy. So it, 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 I think it was, there was a clear set of people that I think um, I, I could identify with and I could think of myself as that kind of economist. So even though, even though I was somewhat broad, I think, and, and maybe I, I did have some econometrics papers, um, like for me coming up with a set of letter writers, it was relatively clear who those, who those people should be. Of course, uh-huh. I don't know who they actually picked, but right. yeah. So, you know, Robert, Robert Moffat would be another one. Howard, so for the sake of the listeners, you know, that, that don't quite know what that grouping is, what exactly is that grouping that you're describing of those labor economists? How, how, do, how is it that you sort of have these, this, this, this community that 
that's like a natural place for you? What would you say is to others about what that is? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's I mean, it's two different things. One is the set of people that are a lot of them are thinking about structural models uh-huh. um, and, and but and but not not everyone necessarily. But it's it's, you know, formalizing and combining econometrics with labor economics and empirical micro yeah. um, in a more in a more formal way and usually, you know, maybe a little bit more technical way. Mm-hmm. Um, was it so, you know, was it was it when you were like an 01 uh, you know, you think about this alternative branch within labor econometrics that you sort of think about with like card angers, this is what they call that design tradition. Is that are there like at that time, you know, like bright red lines kind of separating groups of people or a lot because, you know, later it sort of seems like there's this clear, almost philosophical approach that's taken but what was it like for you then? Is it just like everybody's just doing their doing the same? Well, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so so for me, I've always been so, I, somebody who's appreciate. I mean, I don't think of myself as a purely structural person, oh. um, and and certainly appreciate uh, other kinds of things. I mean, my my se- so my senior colleagues at North at Northwestern at the time were Joe Altanji um, and Becky Blank Mm. and Bruce Meyer and Dale Mortensen, Mm -hmm. which was incredibly lucky to have that set of people. Um, So, you know, clearly I, I learned, I, I I learned a ton, especially, especially from Joe Altanji and from Bruce Meyer about how to think about those things. And, you know, Bruce, Bruce is definitely more, he's done, he's done structural stuff, but he's more on the design based Mm -hmm. side. Um, You know, Joe came from, from Princeton Princeton, um, as part of that thing, but, you know, among people on that side is probably done more structural stuff than others so but um, is there's like there's is it is it the case that like you know when everybody's making jazz music it's like there's no real difference but then later you're kind of like able to talk in terms of the genres of being different so like would you even back then sort of said yeah there's like you know there's a there's a structural approach there's this design approach or is it just kind of like not as clear differences between approaches as it's like now, you know, because you, you have Nobel Prizes, it's like stamps on things. Oh, I, I mean, it, I think if anything, it was clearer back then than it is now. Oh, yeah. No, I yeah, I, it's certainly I don't I don't. Yeah, I, the, there were definitely differences back then. Mm. Um, mm. Well, so this yeah. is a good point. So you're. The, to segue a little bit, you mentioned Dr. Altanji. So uh, your your most cited paper is this 2005 JPE with Dr. Altanji and Elder. And for the sake of the people that aren't in labor, uh, this this paper, would you just kind of tell a little bit about what this paper is? Because I want to just talk about the origins of it a little bit in a second. Yeah, yeah. And and I, was, and I sort of bring that up. In, I, that's not a structural paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I would, I don't know if I would call it, it's sort of an applied, it's an applied econometrics paper. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe a 
design-based paper. I, I mean, there's almost two different things to it. I mean, it's an empirical paper that studies the effect of Catholic schools, and it started as an empirical paper. Um, but the main, the main thing it's cited for is we formalized this idea of using selection on observed variables to say something on, about selection on unobserved variables. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, uh, had anything like that been done before this? I mean, you know, you think about Dr. Heckman's two-step selection approach where, where you've got some explicit modeling of it, this kind of approach of being able to talk about that, that selection on things you can't see and being able to say something about it on the things you have seen. Is there a precedent to that before your paper? I, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say we're formalizing. I mean, I think what we did is formalize what people what people already did informally. Oh, yeah. So right. like like if you go to any any RCT, table one is going to be a balance test. Well, that's right. exactly that. I mean, that that's what a balance test is. It's mm. it's it's. The idea is the experiment the, the, and we're kind of formalizing that idea. I mean, the idea in a balance test is that the experiment was properly done. Yeah. You should see no different in difference in observed covariates. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so at some level, the way that I like to think about what we're doing is we want to get away from a test and say something about magnitudes. So, uh -huh. a so a test, you know, you can, you can think people might do something similar with an instrument. So you just run a regression of the instrument on observed covariates and you can yeah. test whether those things are positively related to the, to the instrument or not. Right. Um, I think the problem with the, the, you have the standard problem with tests, just because you reject the null hypothesis, um, doesn't mean that it's, an, would, I'll say it the other way again. In fact, you accept the, null, accept the null hypothesis doesn't mean that it's true. So if you have really crappy observed variables, they might not be they might not be correlated with with the instrument. But, you, you know, you're you're not going to you're not going to reject the test. You right. also might you also might if you have a big enough data set, you're going to you might reject the null. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that the bias is large. So so the idea of our paper is to formalize that. And mm -hmm. say, suppose that selection on the unobserved variables is the same as selection on the observed covariates. How large would your how large would your bias be? Yeah. Um, so to me, it's really the idea of doing these tests and using observed variables to think about um, validity of, of an instrument or certainly an RCT that 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 had been around for a very long time. Mm. What we're doing is we want to formalize it, put a little bit more you know, make some stronger assumptions about it and then use that to say something about whether the bias is large, it's large or small. Mm. So it's getting well, magnitude rather than just whether you accept or reject a test. That, well, that's how I think about it. Where does the idea start? You know, you and Dr. Altanji are at the school together, but Dr. Elder's at Illinois, right? No, no, no. Todd was a, was a PhD student at the time. Oh, he's a PhD student. He's a, he was a PhD student at Northwestern at the time. Oh, um, no, it's, it's actually, it, it, it actually kind of came generically. We had, we had an idea for an instrument um, for a Catholic school. So it started as applied paper where we, we want to look at the effect of Catholic schools on outcomes. And we had an idea for the instrument. Um, but then we were getting sort of crazy results. Mm -hmm. And then we did this sort of thing where we looked at the relationship between the instrument and um, the observed variables, 
and realized that's that's the problem. And then we did similar things with other people, you know, other other instruments that people had used in this literature and also saw this problem. Mm. Um, and then we did something else that seemed like it worked much better, um, just kind of playing around. And in doing that, now we decided, okay, let's formalize this. Let's mm. people people think about this, but let, let's let's think about exactly what it means to say the observables are the same as the unobservables, right? And that's, I mean, at some level, that's a contribution, is writing down a model that can allow you to, to, to say what that means. Yeah, yeah. What was the response that, when it was a working paper and you're presenting it, what was the reaction that you noticed it having? A huge heterogeneity. Oh, really? Um, yes, yes. Some people, like, some people just loved it. Some people thought this is really important, this is revolutionary, um, you know, this, this is going to be really important. Other people said, oh, this is BS. Like, why, why would selection on the observables be the same as selection on the unobservables? That, that, that doesn't make any sense. It's an arbitrary assumption. Mm -hmm. um, but it was one that people kind of had been doing. I, I mean, yeah, it's one that some people have been doing. Yeah, I, I, I think maybe the people that didn't like it weren't necessarily the, pe the same people that were doing the balance test. Mm. Um, Mm. Well, now it's like cited, you know, 400. I mean, it's it's interesting to watch it. It's like, you know, sometimes you see these papers that have a parabola and yours is just this monotonic increasing. How, when did you guys start to notice that this paper is probably having an impact and being influential? Right. Like you said, it was sort of gradual. I mean, uh, it, it got fairly cited. It got it got cited um, a fair amount relatively early. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I and I think our. I mean, Emily Oster's written a paper yeah. um, that a lot of people have used, and I, and I think that's that's that that has certainly helped our citations because I think a lot of people that that use her things will also cite us as kind of a an earlier step in that process. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's. I was kind of wondering about that too. Um, well, this other paper uh, uh, that I just kind of wanted to briefly touch on. It's kind of interesting too. It's you know one of the. It's one of there's until this recent wave of diff and diff papers. I mean, you know, the, there wasn't a ton of diff and diff kind of technical technical work, but you've got this 2011 uh, review of economics and statistics with uh, Timothy Conley, and I just was wondering, you know, how did you guys even latch onto that one too? That idea of this like small number of policy changes. Is it this this was something that just always kind of bugged us. Um, uh. Actually, we, we maybe the thing that pushed me to do it, like we, we used it as an example in our paper. We, we talk about Sue Donarski's Hope paper. Um, mm. At one point, there's a discussion on that paper. Mm. Um, and and I think I was, a, certainly I read it. I think I was a discussant. Um, and it was just in, in, in thinking about, the, I was thinking about that pro I mean, it wasn't unique there, but but thinking about this problem where it, where it didn't really make sense to use these as this asymptotic approximation where right. kind of with a sample size of one. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, so I mean, there's kind of like your paper. There's Abadie's synthetic control paper. There's um, uh, Donardo. And has that AJ policy paper that comes out in 2010 where he does randomization inference. There's 
it seems like there was this like stuff in the air a little bit about small number of treatments. It's not always diff and diff, but it's like small number of treatments. Is that, so there was like people, and even really, you know, when you think about that Bertrand, Duflo, Mullenthal of like, yeah. you know, just kind of thinking of inference in diff and diff even. So there must've been something going on that's like getting more focus or something. Yeah, that, no, I think so. I mean, I think diff and diff was, be, I mean, it's partly that, just diff and diff was becoming a very popular method, which lots yeah. of people were using. Yeah. And just when that happens, more people think about what you're doing with it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And they haven't stopped. So, so you and Dr. Conley work on it. Is he at, you're at Wisconsin at this point, right? Oh, seven, you get to Wisconsin. Oh, it took us a long time to write the paper. We were at, we, we started working on it. I, we started working. We were together at Northwestern. Oh, Okay. Okay. Actually, the three of us were together. We were undergraduates in Chicago at the same time. Then we were graduate students at Chicago at the same time. And then exactly the same year, we moved um, from Chicago to, to Northwestern. Y'all both got the job? Y'all followed each other a long time? We like went that? to, yeah, we went exactly at the same time. We, but we went he's not Chicago one of your buddies from, he's not one of your college buddies, is he? The guy you I didn't know. I didn't know him as an undergraduate. Oh, okay. Really. I mean, I, I knew we had talked. But he was, yeah, we weren't, we didn't know each other from college very well. So um, he's just like a light, he's like a, a, one of the, you know, he's one of your old career friends. Right. So we talked, yeah. So we spent lots of time talking about econometrics together, applied econometrics together when I was at Northwestern. Uh -huh. um, so I don't, yeah, I don't remember if the project started. I, I don't remember if the project started while he was still in Northwestern or, I mean, he moved to Chicago after that. Yeah. Um, so we certainly worked on it while he was he was in Chicago and I was at Northwestern. Yeah. Well, so now looking forward, you know, what what now is it you're kind of most excited about in the stuff that's coming? That you're working on or that you um, I want the department chair right now. So I yeah. spending so anytime I do anything, um, I, I'm I'm. I'm uh, excited to actually do research rather than rather than uh, than administrative thing. I, I mean, a, a number of papers that I'm I'll say one thing that I like about the profession um, is I think is hopefully a positive effect of the of the in the profession, which is something that's relevant in a lot of the work that I'm doing right now um, is it, using indirect inference. Um, where we, where you take as auxiliary moments uh, something that comes from a design-based experiment, so so it, it's it's a way to me of combining design-based work and the creativity of identification and design-based work, but then using it to inform structural models. I mean, I I think this is an important where area that that the profession has developed yeah. in during the last you know, 20 years since I've been here, here but, yeah. but I think that's a particular powerful way to do it. Ah, so that's like stuff that you've kind of got in your pipeline that you're most excited about. Yeah. I mean, I have papers, I, yeah, I publish papers that have done this too. So it's not only new stuff, ah, okay. um, yeah, but yeah. I think all, pretty much all of the papers that I, all of the papers that I'm working on um, are doing some level of this thing. I mean, you, what, what, I think the two papers that I'm working on, one, one active, one, or one, 
I guess neither of them have drafts. One is closer to draft than the other, but mm-hmm. one we're using RCTs about uh, tuition subsidies to estimate a structural model of mm-hmm. college attendance and completion. Mm-hmm. So the elasticities of the model are going to come from from RCTs RCT. and from design based stuff. But then the advantage is you can put that in a structural model. Then you can think about alternative kinds of policies that people people could have done. Um, another one is studying is studying teacher labor markets um, that I'm working with 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 some with some colleagues here. Um, yeah. And there we we couldn't find a good way to estimate elasticities of supply into teaching. So we ran a survey um, yeah. to ask students what they thought, and then we're going to use that to inform the model. Oh, that's cool. very cool. I only tangent, tangentially know about this work, and it's mainly single papers and development and things like that. So I don't know a ton of of that. That's cool. Well, so I'm running out of time, so I want to wrap up. I'm, I'm. This is kind of a weird question. I I ask people it every now and then. I still haven't figured out how to ask it or where I'm going with it. But if you could go back and talk to your old self you know, right when he got to Northwestern or like maybe six months later and you guys have a beer and he knows he's talking to you. All right. I'm curious, you know, about he's got all these, these sources of uncertainty that he's thinking about himself and the future. And of course with you, it's all resolved. But you're not going to be allowed to answer. It's not really all questions. resolved yet. I still, not done. Yeah, you're not done, right? Yeah, exactly. You're, but you've like resolved some of them, and I'm just curious, yeah. like you know, you're not. I don't mean like, hey, be sure to you know submit your job market paper. I mean more like, you know, what do you think that you wish you could tell him about you know the stuff that has turned out to be really the best part, the 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 things about the job that maybe he just needs to know are the best parts of the job, and then the the other parts of the job that maybe seem like they're the most important, but that maybe you now see it a little different. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I have a great answer to that. Um, I mean, adv- advice about doing research. I, I think, I think it, I think sometimes I would get too isolated and I would work on problems for a very long time that weren't very interesting. Mm. Um, like, like if I was going to give professional advice to myself, it would be talk to people more because sometimes like we all, we can get it. We get into, we have this problem where we want to solve this problem and, and we fight forever to try to solve this problem. Um, without thinking about whether the solution is actually interesting to anybody else other than, other than themselves. Um, right. So if I gave a, a, a piece of professional advice, um, that that's, um, that, that's something that I would have given to myself, but that's not exactly what you asked. Um, no, that's, that is kind of interesting. I mean, you might just, you're saying that that's something that over time you, you realized had been a better, it was a, was a shift in your productivity or satisfaction a little bit. Yeah. I didn't use my time as effectively as, as I, as I could have as an assistant professor. Right. Um, For sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay. 
Well, it's been really great talking, uh, Chris. I really have enjoyed this, and I hope we get to see uh, each other in pub in person one day. Yeah, it would be really nice to meet you at some point. Is yeah. Okay. I really, I, yeah, actually, I don't know how this was. Like, I didn't ask you any questions. I like. Yeah. I don't know if I was. I don't know if I didn't no, know whether just, I. I like listening to you. I, I wanted to, and I think most people are probably. You know, I was. I like hearing your story, and um, and uh, yeah, it's supposed to just be me listening, uh, learning a little bit more about you. Because I felt a little, I felt rude a little bit, not no not asking no. you about your experience but it occurred to me that if you have this conversation with everybody and everybody asks you about oh, your yeah, right. experience right right, right. that's every true. single podcast is going to be <laughs> be saying the same thing yeah it's like yeah um, i had to i wasn't so i felt that. rude about i felt rude about doing that <laughs> oh but, no no yeah. no no well it's so nice to meet and um i will definitely if i see you at a conference i'll come up and, and say hey. that'd be great yeah. okay bye okay, bye Chris.